Mabbott has gone forward with Stewart to the right, Lineker and Howes to the left. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! That is schoolboy's own stuff. Oh, I bet even he can't believe it. Is there anything left from this man to surprise us? That was one of the finest free kicks that this stadium has ever seen. Hello and welcome to episode 67 of Hitting the Bar, the football podcast. I'm Chris Carl. And I'm Jeff Saunders. Well, Jeff, it's been a little while since we last did this podcast for various different reasons. So we've got a lot to talk about, but first, your trivia question. Okay, it's a a two-part question and it concerns the... We're coming into the next round of the Big Cup, Champions League, I think it's called now. There are 16 teams left in the Big Cup. Four teams from Spain, four from Germany, three from England, three from Italy, PS. SG and what's the 16th team now second part of the question is there are three teams from Italy who are they you'd think you'd know that one that you'd think it would come easy but it just doesn't all right where should we start because we've not done this for a while there's been uh, many manager rumblings and changes Pochettino's gone to PSG Frank Lampard's been sacked at Chelsea and Tuchel from PSG has come in let's talk about that to start with and then we'll move on to some of the incredible games that have gone by yeah I think regarding Chelsea this started months and months ago something that we talked about here when Peter Cech Check joined the uh, the coaching team, stroke management team. So he would be at training every single day. Now he was very clearly Granovskaya's eyes in in training, being you know telling her what was going on. So there hasn't been enough progress, you know, wasn't enough progress by Lampard, and so they they decided he had to go. Now Chelsea have got rid of a lot of managers over the last few years, and they always make the decision at one point in time, and that point in time is when they do not believe that the manager can get them into the Champions League next season in the top four. So they decided that at a point in time in December. Now, it's very strange that you can sack your manager one day and the next day you you have appointed another manager. These are multi-multi-million pound contracts. They take a while to, to sort out. So they had obviously been talking to Tuchel for a while. It transpired, though, that they offered the job to Pochettino the week before. In fact, before they'd actually pulled the trigger on that, Lampard and but said to him look we're not quite ready to fire him yet give it a month and he said no I won't wait a month so he then went and joined PSG now obviously Tuchel is there and Tuchel is the uh, the anointed son the part part of the school from Nagelsmann and and all these Germans you know Klopp is part of part of the German school and they they obviously want some sort of structure and plan so they've made the investment the 200 odd million in these attacking players but they can't see anything coming from it and it's not good enough to just say okay you're talented players you go out and play they want some structure there Tuchel is is a great great coach for, for doing exactly that yeah a couple of points first of all yes it takes ages to sort these contracts out you, like you said it's talking a lot of money you've got lawyers and agents on both sides sending each other the documents correcting them sending them back it takes ages so obviously Lampard was out the door long before he knew about it the other thing is interesting about Tuchel apart from his reputation from for falling out with the boards and directors and chairman of clubs is Mika Rich the former Man City player wrote a column I think it was for the BBC who said when I was at City during that time Chelsea changed managers a few times and we'd hear the name while we're in training we'd hear the name of the new manager and we'd go uh oh they're going to be challenging us he said this time they announced Tuchel and I went meh meh 
And he said, I don't think he's a bad manager, and we, you know, time will tell how he does, but I don't think he's the right fit for Chelsea, and I don't think he'll do very well. That's one person's opinion, but he, he felt that he, because of the way he puts players under pressure, there was a story of him after a loss at one of his clubs, possibly PSG, he got the players who'd made the mistakes crawl up and down on their hands and knees from one end of the football pitch to the other as punishment. I mean, that makes Jose look like a pussycat, doesn't it? There, there does seem to be a feeling that he's possibly not the right man for the job. Well, I, is he the right man, as in him personally? Uh, don't know. Do they need a manager who can impose some structure and control? Of course they do. You've got these expensive players that they bought, Guy Havertz and, and Werner specifically. Now, Lampard played both of them out of position every time he played them. Why is he playing Werner as a, essentially a left winger? You know, OK, he's doing the old Johan Cruyff. Oh, no, no, it's a starting position. But Timo Werner, you look at his goals, Timo Werner scores in the inside left channel. Same as Obama Yang at, at Arsenal. This is what he's done throughout the whole of his career. Why are you suddenly changing it? Why do you think you know more than all these other managers that he had? And and he's come through Leipzig, so he's he's been subject to Nagelsmann and, and Tuchel is a disciple of Nagelsmann. And Havert, where, where does Havert play? In the inside right channel. So why are you playing him wide right and then wide left and then... Play him where he's used to play. Ziyech. I mean, if you, I don't know if you remember that, that, that fantastic semi-final between Ajax and Tottenham in the Champions League a couple of years ago. Ziyech was just out of this world. He has a starting position, wide-ish right. He's left-footed, so he likes to come in and play all his balls the, the way Messi does in the build-up for Barcelona. Basically, what they've said is, we need somebody who knows how to put all these individual elements together and make a team and make them play. Silva coming in in defence has kind of solved the defensive problems but look at Marcus Alonso the other day first match back he looked like the player he was three years ago but Lampard had decided no he's no good he's off and the goal he scored it's amazing they want some structure they want a plan they want to think that they've spent their money well and they're going to benefit from it and if you want that well kind of anyone from Nagelsmann and Tuchel or any of the other any of the other Germans is perfect for you it'll be interesting to see Tuchel at Chelsea unfortunately for me as a Tottenham fan we're playing Chelsea well tomorrow Thursday this week again like we played Liverpool after a bad run you injure a, a mighty beast it'll come back and bite you and I think Chelsea now with a new manager going to be tough to play I'm not convinced with the Tuchel appointing but I certainly was wasn't impressed with Lampard being appointed in the first place. Interesting that I read a quote that Lampard made when Villash Boash got sacked from Chelsea and he said he was uh, probably too young for the job. <laughs> said the young Frank Lampard, uh, and it came far too soon for him in his career. He had a game plan and it just didn't work. Now, you could take that quote and apply it to Frank Lampard. Very much so, and, and I mean, long-time listeners can, can go back to the um, when he was appointed, and, and we said he shouldn't take the job. It's a year too early for him, minimum a year too early. And let's face it, the Chelsea job is going to become available in 18 months' time anyway, <laughs> you know, because it always does. So why did he feel the need to do it why didn't he stay at Derby and say no 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 I've got unfinished work here he would have gone up in in the eyes of everybody everyone thought yeah good good for you was he scared that he couldn't get Derby promoted if he got Derby promoted he could you know basically he can double the number on the check that Chelsea offered him but there was no need for him to take the job then he, he didn't know enough and it's 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 one of the you know one, one of the issues that we see in management at the moment what experience have they got to fall back on when things go wrong it's like the I don't know I don't know whether it was Joe Lewis who, f who said it first everyone's got a plan until they get hit in the face and that's it w where do you go what, what do you fall back on what experience
arguments have you got to dig yourself out of this hole? And he hadn't got any. And that's the problem. Solskjaer is ex- exactly the same situation. It's just that Manchester United spent 900 million in the last couple of years. Those players are worth 700 million now, by the way. But it's, you know, Manchester United just, just throw the money on the pitch and hope it all sorts itself out. In coaching terms, they have nowhere to go when things go wrong, which is why they didn't go through the Champions League and why they haven't, well, they've won two, two knockout matches in the Champions League in the last 10 years. It's absolutely shambolic. And that's why they keep offering Ralph Rangnick the job to come along and be director of football. And then he would presumably bring in Nagelsmann and sort it all out. But Rangnick keeps saying no. So they're stuck with Solskjaer. But the issue is the manager needs the experience to fall back on. Lampard didn't have it. Yeah, you've got to have that. We've said it before on the show, that thing where, well, this has gone wrong. That's similar to the situation I had three years ago at a different club. What did I do there? And of course, he hasn't got that. It's an empty page. I mean, Lampard at Derby took them from sixth to sixth with one point less. But he did learn to use kids, the younger players. And then after he left, look at Derby now. Did a battling relegation. Doing quite well under Wayne Rooney, though. I think of five or six games he's been in charge. They've lost once. They are doing a lot better, um, Wayne Rooney. If he was to leave after a year and take a big job, that again would be the wrong decision. I do feel Rooney will spend longer doing that, though, in the lower leagues. I think possibly he might have looked at Frank Lampard and learned a lesson there. There is that. There is also Grandad that he can call up and get some advice from and I think you can be fairly certain that Grandad has been giving him advice and, and he'd, he'd do I, I think Rooney will actually do very well particularly if he stays there and if he doesn't get attracted to some you know fantastic opportunity somewhere else learn learn your trade basically you know you, you can't walk in one on day one as a as a tiler and tile a wall properly can you you've actually got to learn how to do it and that you know the great managers they all started at the bottom somewhere and they learned how to be football managers and they learned what to do and they brought that experience with them which kind of leads us on to Sam Allardyce and and West Brom I'm not sure even all of Sam's experience is going to help there it's a basket case there no, just quickly before we talk about Sam about Rooney it's it's interesting you said he'd do well because he gets a lot of stick and has got a lot during his playing career for not being the brightest or sharpest tool in the box and all that usual the way the press like to vilify players and, and people in the in the know but maybe he is a very good manager maybe he's a, maybe he will grow into being a very sensible manager and he has got Alex Ferguson to fall back on and I believe they've signed two players on loan from Man United so he's got a good relationship there he's got to stick it out and not jump into his dream job like Lampard did yeah uh, what you have to remember about the newspapers is they, they they come up with a narrative and a lot of the narrative about Rooney is is all on the back of these this comment that he looks like Shrek ergo he's stupid er, you know we don't know Who, who's actually sat down and had a conversation with with Rain, Wayne Rooney apart from the Derby directors who hired him it's entirely possible probable even he's actually much more intelligent than than we think he doesn't have o levels and a levels etc etc because he's been a footballer since he was eight years old and always going to be a footballer but it doesn't mean he's not intelligent doesn't mean he doesn't understand football and time will tell won't it and if you look at the managers before him immediately before him at derby you know these you know koku for example you know oh yeah obviously always going to be a manager fantastically intelligent and yeah how did that work out then we don't know what happens in training we don't know what people say we don't know uh, you know what the manager is doing what his plan is uh, all this all we see is what happens on the pitch and a win or a draw or loss and then the newspapers you know they write their reports based on the result they don't write the report of the match and report the result afterwards you know a narrow 2-1 loss oh they were bad when in fact they might have been brilliant just didn't score you know it's like like Brighton this season brilliant they've played fantastic football they've been superb they've been so well coached so well managed but they can't score 
and that's why they're down where they are. So I'd be very happy to give Rooney lots of time and be, I'll be fairly confident he'll turn out to be a good manager. Yes, I'll agree with that and I think he spent time as captain at Manchester United, then he spent time as player at Derby, then player assistant manager and then when he got the chance to be interim manager, he said, right, that's it, I'm not playing anymore because I can't do the job while I'm on the pitch, which I thought was a very sensible move, first of all. Secondly, that time and tenure as captain and the fact that he's one of those footballers that may have a little bit of flair or a lot of flair but he's a hard worker and no nonsense player and I think he has the ability to empathise with the players because he's not that much older and has recently been playing and also put his foot down and raise his voice. Yeah no, I agree 100% there's one more thing the professional footballers particularly in the Premier League that the, there's one rule which seems to apply which is show us your medals he wins there too doesn't he? He can certainly answer that question. All right, well, what, you mentioned Sam Allardyce. He's never been relegated. People say, oh, he keeps teams up. I think it's actually only two teams previously, or three maybe, that he's been called in to save from relegation. It's not like he's done it multiple, multiple times. It's just what he's remembered for, apart from his 100% England record. <laughs> one game, one win. But I think he took that job at West Brom. That's a step too far. They are, they are bad. Yeah, I mean, w- w- we said at the very start of this season that they were nailed on for relegation, and, and nothing I've seen since has, has suggested anything different. If you can't score goals, you're going to go down. You you could never see where the goals were going to come from at West Brom and he still can't. He can and he will and he does organise the defence very well but you've actually got to score and I can't see where any goals are coming from at West Brom. I, th- I think they're doomed. The bottom three I think are actually doomed and Brighton will, will escape and I'm very pleased about that. They just need to find themselves a goal scorer. Sheffield United have now won two in a row is it or two in the last three? Beat Man United? Weird. Well, again, against West Brom last night, which means that they won't go down with that terrible record at Derby of just 11 11, uh, points. But they're probably still going to go down. Fulham are the other contender. Now, you and I, and you particularly, pointed out that when Fulham went up, Scott Parker looked terrified that he'd have to play with that team in the Premier League. However, since then, and since we last met, I've watched Fulham a few times. Once was against Tottenham when they got a very credible draw. Suddenly, Fulham look like a Premier League team and are playing some very attractive football because he is a manager that learns from his mistakes and changed the system a little bit. And they suddenly look like they could survive if they hadn't had that terrible first half of a season. Yeah, I agree. I, I think Parker has done extremely well. He's done his reputation no harm at all. In fact, I I think he's enhanced his reputation but they did have that start they are what seven points adrift they're not going to make that up and uh, those bottom three are going down and then when they win a game or Sheffield United win a game the teams above them also win a game so they're not catching them up and Brighton let's get on to it finally Brighton finally won a game at home for the first time this season in a game that my team Tottenham Hotspur should have won now it was a game without Harry Kane We'd been without him for the second half against the champions, Liverpool. Again, we lost. No shame in that. They are the champions. They had a bad run. They were bound to come back, and and they did against Tottenham. But no excuse for Tottenham to lose at Brighton. It's the worst game I've seen them under Jose Mourinho, and it took me back to the last year of Pochettino's time at Tottenham. They looked in disarray. They didn't know what they were doing. They had Gareth Bale on the pitch from the start. I thought that's great. It looks to me, it might be just an emotional response, as if the other players don't want to include him in the game. It's like kids on a playground. They won't pass to him. He's like the unpopular kid. And they were... Or the new kid. We were looking like we were getting battered there because we weren't getting any attack going. And they were passing the ball back or sideways or away from Gareth Bale. All that talent gone to waste. He was then taken off. 
and Lamella was brought on, Winks was brought on. Lamella it, it likes to cause chaos, but most of it doesn't actually result in anything. Possibly a yellow or red card, um, but it doesn't result in a lot. But he can he can be very unpredictable and do something. Winks back and forth, but never forward with his passes. And I just thought that was the worst I've seen Tottenham play. But it looked like the old Pochettino team towards the last six months of his reign, where it didn't look like they wanted to play for the manager or they didn't know what they were doing. And it brings me back to your point about having a plan B. And there's a plan A when Harry Kane plays, and there's no plan B for Bale, or plan B at all, when Harry Kane is out. No, that's absolutely right. And it, it's the charge against Mourinho for the for the last 10 years, that the reason he was fired at Real Madrid was the Real Madrid players would come back from Spanish duty and, and say, but these these players in Barcelona, they do this and this and this in training, and, and Atletico, they do these, these moves in training. Why aren't we doing those? You know, Mourinho's shtick is you sort the defence out, you sort out transition from attack, to defence but you just let the forwards get on with it now you know if you've got you know Brazil's 1970 front five you can do that but Tottenham haven't got that and when plan A isn't working they have no plan B they don't have the planned routines the the runs that players make that City have and Liverpool have all the all the young coaches have this and they're doing it and Mourinho isn't so when it doesn't work when lumping a long ball to Son doesn't work, uh, what do we do? And, you know, if anybody thinks Winks is the answer, then they need to go and get a fucking clue because I, I cannot understand for the life of me what a player like him is doing playing for a team like Tottenham whose who's ambition is top four European Super League when it happens and you're playing with Winks in midfield. Get a grip, come on. If you want somebody to pass the ball backwards or square, Winks is your man. But he's not, you know, even Hoiberg, who is, is, is Hoiberg the best buyer this season I think it's a good shout that he is fantastic holding midfield player but look at the forward passes he makes he creates quite a lot and he, he always has done throughout his career and if he hadn't had all those terrible injuries he'd be people would be talking about him being world class but Winks get a grip I mean he's shockingly bad what was he doing on the pitch it is something that does happen at clubs that they take against one player and they clearly have with Bale. And you know, England used to find it with, with the Man United contingent ad- admitted that they wouldn't pass to a Liverpool player for England. And this is what was happening. Bale was making runs. He, he made space, didn't receive the ball. So something is, you know, something's not, not quite right. We, we don't see what happens in training, so we don't know. But something has happened there. And uh, why a player like Winks, who has been a professional footballer for a day and a half doesn't pass to a world-class player like Bale I, d- I just don't I cannot understand that yeah after I was very disappointed in Harry Winks again thankfully in a way he's kind of fallen out of favour with Jose it's taken a while I just want just want to say a couple of things though in defence of what happened first of all it's not that long since Tottenham were top of the league and all the Tottenham fans were saying this is it now they're saying get rid of Jose you've got 11 players on the pitch all professional players highly paid many of them internationals they still know how to play they still know how to win no matter which one of the squad is out or in if they're passing the ball back constantly like that I am I am convinced you're 1-0 down against Brighton with all those international I am convinced that with 20 minutes to go, Jose Mourinho did not say to them, when you get as far as the halfway line, pass the ball ball back to the goalkeeper. I am not convinced that Jose Mourinho is to blame for that. They were timid, Tottenham, utterly abject and timid, and I blame the players for that performance because he put on the strongest team he thought he had. We don't know what happens in training during the week. He put on the strongest team he thought he had, and those players are paid to go out there and perform, and they did not perform for the club or the manager, and I blame the players for that performance. However, 
We got a backup striker with Vinicius to back up for Kane, but he wasn't on the pitch to begin with in the game. Maybe that was something we don't know about, but it seems strange. But I don't think you can blame the manager or for not having a plan B particularly because the players were there to do a job and they somehow, they looked up, they looked lazy and tired. Yeah, I agree with that. There, there, there are two things that, that I think are particularly relevant. Brighton didn't have Harry Kane either. And, and, and secondly, with 10 minutes to go and, and you're a goal down, you expect the team to bomb forwards to put pressure on it. None of that happened. And at Brighton manager said he was really surprised that this didn't happen in the match. You know, what's happening? There is something going on there. Yes, possibly there is something going on. But before we move on, just one more point, sort of balance yours. Like I said, it's not that long ago since we were top of the table. We're only a few points behind. We've lost two games in a row. Suddenly, there's a massive crisis. If we win, well, we probably won't win against Chelsea, but it's the draws that have been the problem, not the losses. I mean, three losses in 20 games or something, it's not bad. Better than any Pochettino. So, you know, it's it's not terrible. It's two games, one against the champions and one maybe an off day. If it continues for the next three or four games, then yes, there is a crisis. Which moves me to the next point. We talked about Lampard getting sacked because Chelsea had a little bit of a, a wobble. Arsenal have had a, a wobble nearly all season. They had a little bit of a run of wins and then they lost again yesterday against Wolves, who have been dreadful lately very bad they lost to Wolves a weak Wolves team who've sold their best player and had two men sent off they have the they've had nine players sent off or nine red cards since Arteta took over the next team in the Premier League is three red cards in that period three times as many red cards two yesterday lost to Wolves and yet nobody's screaming for his head. People, we've lost two games in a row, one to the champions and one on an off day to Brighton, and everybody's saying Jose out, and yet Arteta's just rumbling on and probably bumbling on. Yeah, I mean, we've been, we've been saying this since the start of the season, that, you know, again, the narrative from the, from the journalists is Arteta is fantastic. You know, there's no evidence to support that at all yeah. because he's never managed anybody. So, so you know, on, on what basis did, did they make that claim? And, but they can't go back on the narrative, so it has to be... Arteta was brilliant. If they lost, it was a bad refereeing decision, or the players, or something, or this, or that, or, you know, whatever. If you've got nine players sent off, which is three times as many as the next thing, it shows you there's something wrong in that team. The players don't believe in whatever scheme that the manager is talking about. You know, they clearly don't have the process to fall back on. They don't have that discipline of, okay, this is my position, this is what I must do. My, my base case, if you like, is I do this. Uh, as soon as things don't go right, they're losing their tempers and, and it's all starting to go wobbly and you end up with nine red cards. And all of that comes back to the manager. He has no experience to fall back on. He doesn't know what he's doing. It's quite clear when you look at it. He, he is completely and totally out of his depth. And you look at those uh, the, the points that they made and ask yourself, who were they against? Who did they get these points from? And it's only when you've gone through halfway through the season where everyone has played everyone else that you start to see what's actually going on. And I'd be amazed if Arsenal finish as high as eighth. Yeah, I mean, after yesterday's loss, they're 10th, I think. They drew against Man United in the game before at Arsenal. You know, Man United have been beaten by worse teams this season. Um, but now they're down to 10th, Arsenal. And nine red cards in that time that he's been in charge compared to Man United, I think it is three. I mean, it's a, it's a dreadful disciplinary record, and that's down, as you say, to the manager. Yeah, I, I, I haven't got the exact stat with me, but I, I read it a couple of days ago. Um, Arteta's results against the, the self-styled top six, not the people who are currently top six in the title, but, but the, the self-styled top six who would all join this European breakaway league, he's only won two matches against them. You know, so where's he got his points? He's got his points from middle to bottom of the table teams. Well, okay, 
fair enough. You know, your your squad's worth 550 million nominally. And, you know, worth is a strange concept, but that's where it's sitting at the moment. So, are you, are you going to beat teams that have got a squad valued at 150 million? Well, you should. That's all that's happened at at the Wanderers. It's not. You know, the groundsman is the groundsman. He's just not up to it. No, he's not up to it. And just to put it into context, Wolves beat Arsenal yesterday. Yes, Arsenal were down to 10 men. That is Wolves' first league victory since they beat. Uh, surprisingly Chelsea on the 15th of December there have been a lot of league games since then the only games they've won is in the FA Cup against Palace and Chorley those are the only times Wolves have won since the middle of December and they beat Arsenal down to nine men I understand the other game that was uh, down to nine men was poor old Southampton had two red cards in their game at Manchester United they've now lost in the last year last season and this season 9-0 at home to Leicester and 9-0 away at Man United that's the only time that's ever happened and only the third time there's been a 9-0 victory, two of them by Man United. Hasselhutl, the manager, said, we did it last time, we'll do it again, we'll pick ourselves up. If you're down to nine men, you're going to lose 3-0, 4-0, 6-0, 9-0. By that point, it doesn't make any difference. No, and, and you know, a 9-0 just says it was a, a perfect storm. You know, every shot goes in, and as an attacking team, you can't do anything wrong. You know, the only thing Hasselhutl could do is, is shrug, say, OK, we start work again tomorrow, and, and, you know, we did it before, we'll do it again. Uh, he'll come back from that. Of course he will, he's a very good man manager and you know rather than giving the players a bollocking the best thing he could do is give them a day off to say look you know this was crap you know this wasn't us just go away and think about something else and we'll come back to training on Tuesday and and see what happens so I, I don't think 9-0 matters at all it's just one of those things where every shot goes in yeah I mean you know Man United started that 9-0 record by beating Ipswich in 95 then Leicester um, and then have done it again it's a record it happens it's a blip because Southampton have had a good season though they have gone down a little bit lately but they'll bounce back definitely Man United do they flatter to they deceive I think the title race is between Liverpool and Man City and probably City might edge it but we'll come to that in the shows as we go along but now I want to turn to your team West Ham United who maybe jokingly or slightly tongue-in-cheek our fellow pundit on the radio on our Saturday sports show on 93.6 Global Radio here on the Costa del Sol. Our fellow pundit Kirk Blows, who is also a West Ham fan like yourself, uh, insisted that we, on Saturday, before you lost on Sunday, insisted on talking about West Ham's title challenge. They are much improved, though, and playing some nice football under David Moyes, who you don't really trust. T- title challenge, Kirk's having a laugh there, <laughs> which I think which I think he knows very well. No, there's, there's no title challenge, and West Ham will finish somewhere between 8th and 6th. So 6th, 7th or 8th is, is where we'll finish. Where we should finish, when you look at the strength of the squad compared to the rest of the Premier League, we could go higher if, if the team's that should be above carry on as they have been because nobody's been terribly consistent this season um, it's one of these ones where people keep trying to throw it away Moyes Moyes has set West Ham to do what Moyes does let's be really really difficult to beat and you know, always have that extra defensive midfielder in, apart from in, in place of sorry an attacking midfielder and that, that's where I disagree with, with Moyes I'd always have Lanzini on the pitch instead of the defensive player because Lanzini will create something magical and and that's the West Ham way it's what we do but you have to say Moyes is doing what Moyes does he had a great record at, at Everton you know he, he, he won the Everton Cup every season you know. so setting West Ham to, to finish 7th and win the Everton Cup is kind of par for the course for him he's done a very good job not the job I want to see a West Ham manager do but it is a good job they are sitting 5th and I think after I think after 21 games I think we could probably draw a line under it and say you know we, we, we understand what the league is we should sort of stop it now 
Manchester United sit up there. I still think they'll finish fifth. And I think Chelsea will get into the top four. And Leicester as well. So the teams that are flattering to deceive are uh, the Wanderers when they play against somebody poor and Manchester United so I, I, I do think Manchester United will still finish fifth and, and we'll see will City beat Liverpool yes I think they will City, Liverpool Leicester, Chelsea will be the top four uh, well, something else Kirk said interestingly said to me yesterday was that alright there was no title challenge of course it was a joke as you said but they are doing a much better than last season uh, I think before yesterday's game or before the game before that you'd, you, you had 35 points which is four less than you had for the entire uh, entirety of last season. That's incredible. What he did say was, time will tell, but you didn't buy anybody in the transfer window. You haven't replaced Haller, your record signing, who you sold for half price after a year to um, Ajax, and you didn't replace him. He said maybe the board were thinking, last year we avoided relegation. We were caught in a relegation battle. We've avoided that this season. We've pulled ourselves away from that. Let's consolidate and be happy that we're not going to get relegated. We don't need to buy a striker. It's a waste of money. That's fine, he said. But if we finish seventh after this push into the top five that we've had recently, if we just miss out by a point or two on a possible European spot, then regret is going to set in. So if you finish ninth or 10th, then job done without spending money that you didn't need to spend. If you finish 7th and just miss out, then possibly you should have got a new striker. Okay, I, I, first, I think they've been trying to get a striker, but the, the, the mid-season transfer window is a very bad time to buy, particularly strikers. You always end up paying far too much, and, and there's always the question, well, why does the current team want to sell him? I, I understand not being able to buy a striker. The very bad news, and I think it is terrible news, is taking Lingard on loan because I think that's going to disrupt the disrupt the dressing room he's teacher's pet and I cannot see what he possibly what, what does he offer you've got Fornals and Lanzini who are light years much much better players than him it got rid of Snodgrass the, the week before Snodgrass is a better player than Lingard why get rid of Snodgrass and bring in Lingard for God's sake I, I'm absolutely convinced this will backfire on them because teacher's pet we, we've got him on loan we've got to play him and what what does Lingard offer any, any team at all I mean it's just to me it's a terrible terrible decision and if he gets game time ahead of Fornals and Lanzini then I think the dressing room is going to turn very very quickly because those two players are special Lingard isn't special Lingard is a run-of-the-mill Premier League player you know he's, he's in a Deli Alley light you know he's, I mean he is well you, you ask yourself what does Lingard do ask uh, tell me about great games Lingard has had I can't think of a single one and I don't think anyone else could either I think that's going to cost West Ham points the other thing about West Ham's position in fifth is there is a very old saying in football West Ham's title challenge comes down with the Christmas decorations West Ham always have a great half season either the first half of the season or the second half keeping it going for the whole whole season has always been the problem particularly with bringing Lingard in it could turn out to be a problem this season as well we, we had this discussion on the, the radio show and we said what a shame that Jeff isn't here because we discussed Lingard signing for West Ham and Kirk your fellow West Ham fan said he was thought it was a good signing because it was a loan and he reckoned he'd, you'd get a few goals out of Lingard so it was a shame you weren't there but uh, so two different uh, opinions there uh, before we predict Saturday's and uh, weekend's coming games another topic of conversation was the bizarre uh, quite dramatic resignation or attempted resignation uh, by Andre Villas-Boas uh, during his press conference was it yesterday who said that uh, basically he said I am resigning I 
tender my resignation. We sent out a player on loan that I found out about when I woke up and read the papers. And we've signed a player that I didn't want. Uh, and uh, the board have gone against my wishes. I tender my resignation. I don't want any money. I want to make that clear. Where's the words? I just want to leave. A few days before, there'd been near riots at the training camp from disgruntled Marseille supporters because they'd been on a bit of a bad run. Cynics among the press are saying he just wants to get out of there with his head held high and he's found an excuse. But there's been some developments, haven't there? Um, there have, yeah. You need to understand a bit about French law, particularly employment law. French employees are incredibly well protected, what, we, what we're used to in, in the UK. And one one thing is it doesn't matter what Vias Boas says about, oh, I, I, I don't want to leave with money, etc., etc. He actually doesn't have any choice in that. It's the law. If he resigns, then certain things have to happen legally, and he cannot give up his rights to any compensation that he would be due. And under French law, he'd be due a lot. So he's being a bit disingenuous there with, with what he's saying. And Marseille said, no, we don't accept your resignation. We're going to sack you. Now, the reason that they would do that is that it puts them in a better position regarding this employment law. Because now they, what they're saying to, to Vias Boas is, if you want anything, you've got to take us to court. In the normal course of events, the employee takes the company to court and the employee wins. You know, it's like Fias Boas has thrown down the gauntlet and they've picked it up and said, oh, no, 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 no. It's going to go this way. If you actually believe what you're saying, take us to court and prove it. So will he do that? And that's the question. Now, re- regarding this this other player who they bought, I mean, come on, be serious. He's been a, he's been a coach in Europe for a long time. And I mean, he's even been in Russia, for God's sake, out, out in St. Petersburg, hasn't he? He knows perfectly well that the way that European clubs are managed is the sporting director brings in, you know, he's 25, 28 players. They're handed over to the head coach and said, well, you sort that lot out. That's the way it goes. This bringing in this player that he didn't want, it's nothing new. It happens to every single coach in every club in Europe every year. You know, if he really, really didn't rate his, this player between now and the, season, the end of the season, why didn't he just not play him? You know, it's, it's, it's an excuse. You put all that together and what's it telling you? It's telling you that behind the scenes there's something very seriously wrong. And I think that is going to come out in time. Yeah, I mean, this this player is called Oliver Ncham from Celtic. So obviously not that good, (laughs) all due respect. He says, does Villas Boas, he told them that he didn't want to bring in the midfielder, Oliver Ncham. He said he told the club who he wanted and it wasn't him after Morgan Sanson had gone to Villa. He also said that the departure of Radonic to Hertha Berlin he had no idea about either he learned both those things in the press and you said well all right then you don't want you don't want in cham then just bench him for the season and that by way of protest is great but you want player down there aren't you so you want to you want to be able to have a player that you can play you're, you're restricting your choices but maybe there is something in the background but that now means that uh, Vilash Boas is available look out Arteta I would love it if the exposure <laughs> went to the Wanderers. Oh, that would be that would be like Christmas every week, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be fantastic. I mean, Vias Boas, he, he was he was supposed to be the anointed son of Mourinho, coming out of the same team, being being brilliant and young, etc., etc. But he showed at Chelsea that he's not. You know, he 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 proved at Chelsea he's just not up to it, and he, he's got each 
each um, each appointment he's had since then has been a little one more step down the rung, one more step down the rung. Yeah, he was at St. Petersburg and at Tottenham as well, if you remember. How, how well did that go, do you think? <laughs> no, I, w- I, would, I would love him to go to the Wanderers. It would be fantastic. Yeah, I mean, he came from Chelsea to Tottenham. What, what Chelsea were doing appointing him, I don't know. I mean, as Frank Lampard said at the time, far too young. By the way, he is, I think, six months older than Frank Lampard. So still a young man. And then he went to Tottenham, as I say. And it, well, I mean, it's always a disaster at Tottenham. It has been since about 1961, I think. So it really doesn't matter. But it did not go well for him at Tottenham. Then he went to St. Petersburg or wherever. And then, obviously, to, to Marseille. That's about the level. I don't think, you know, if Jose got sacked or Arteta got sacked, I don't think either club would big in Villas Boas. But it would be fun to see him at Arsenal. I would love that. That would be hilarious. But long may Arteta continue. Long may they keep getting players sent off uh, and losing games to non-title contenders like Wolves. Uh, let's have a look what's uh, happening this coming weekend then. Our fixtures for Saturday and our predictions. Well, here we are. Arsenal Ast- uh, are away at Aston Villa. I mean, they've got Jack Grealish, who is just absolutely incredible. And they do sometimes pull some great results out of the bag, Aston Villa. What do you rate to that one? I think 2-1 to Villa. Well, I'm afraid I think Arsenal will win that one. Burnley against Brighton. Again, Burnley, like Sheffield United, have started to play a little bit better. But then Brighton looked very, very sharp and fresh and crisp against Tottenham. That could be a draw for me. I... No. I, I, I think Burnley will win by two clear goals. I mean, Sean Dyche has got Burnley playing as Burnley play. They had a very, very bad start to the season, but I never had any doubt that he'd get them out of it and that they'll finish up upper to mid-table at the end of the season. They'll win by two clear goals against Brighton. All right. Just going back to that Villa and Arsenal game, I just realised Arsenal will be without two players because they've got those two red cards, one of them being Leno, the goalkeeper. So Villa might fancy that. Uh, then we've got Newcastle United against Southampton. Steve Bruce under a lot of pressure from the, the fans, but then suddenly changes his tactics completely and starts playing this so-called attacking style of football. Wins a cup, beat Everton. Won another game, uh, but lost again. But um, a new Southampton without a couple of players. That could be an interesting one. Yeah, I'm going to go for a, a Southampton win. It's the bounce back. that They're going to win 2-0 away. Yeah, I think Hasselhuttle there at Southampton, the board stuck by him, and I think the players stuck stick by him, and I think the players know, and the fans know, that that 9-0 at Man United was not his fault. It was just one of those things two players sent off. And I think they'll bounce back, I agree. Then we've got Fulham, who I think has started to play good football, against erstwhile top four contenders, <laughs> West Ham United. It could be a tough game for you a lot. I think it will be a tough game. Um, it's ex- exactly the sort of opponent the Fulham need. I can see them winning that 2-1. Maybe Lingard will score and you'll win the game. Uh, then Manchester United against Everton. Well, Everton have been so inconsistent after that great start. They've got a very, very good manager, but Man United will, I mean, they'll be absolutely buoyed by that victory against Southampton and uh, within a point of the leaders in the league. So... I think that's 2-1 or 3-1 to United. No, I can't see Everton scoring 2-0 Man United. All right, then Sunday we got, well, if Tottenham don't win this game at home to West Bromwich Albion, then I will agree with people in the press saying there is a crisis at Tottenham. Tottenham against West Bromwich Albion. Again, Tottenham have this habit over the years, I've noticed, of losing to teams who have had a very bad run. And then, because they always, every team has a bounce back. You don't lose forever and ever and ever. There's a cycle and, you know, you have a bad run and then suddenly you bounce back and it can suddenly, it can be against the top teams. We had it with Brighton, we had it with Liverpool. I'm just hoping it won't be against, against West Brom 2-0 Tottenham, I'm saying. I, 
I think that might be 1-1. Yeah, I can't see where goals are coming from at Tottenham, but they should be too strong for, for West Brom. West Brom has struggled to score goals all season, but I think I think, I think that could be 1-1. I see it as a similar game to the game to the Brighton game, in the sense that Tottenham, if they play like they did against Brighton, and keep passing the ball backwards and sideways and don't move it forward, free-flowing way of moving it forward, they won't break West Brom down, who will be... They'll be going to London to defend, and that's all they will do. They won't be looking to win that game. They'll be camped in their own half, and Tottenham might not be able to break them down, but I still think we'll win it. Wolverhampton Wanderers against Leicester. 2-1 to Leicester. Leicester are going to be far too strong for Wolves, who are having a bit of a rough season. Liverpool against Manchester City. Well, that's what they call a veritable six-pointer. Yeah, it is, isn't it? 2-1 to City. It very much, yeah, very well could be. I mean, as a Tottenham fan and, you know, uh, hopefully a top four contender, possibly not a title contender, the only result that would please me would be a nil-nil draw, I think. Sheffield United against Chelsea. Well, he's got his win, didn't he, Tuchel? Um, He's got a draw and a win under his belt. This will be his third game. I think now his style and everything, his tactics will start to show. Yeah, but you... It's very, very tough, I think, to to go against Chris Wilder. Chris Wilder has been a brilliant manager. He sets that team up. They're very, very good. Not just incredibly difficult to beat, but, but their transition from defence to attack is, is, is brilliant. And it's starting to work. But... Uh, the first thing that came into my head was 2-1 to Chelsea, so I'm going I'm to stick with that. All right, and then finally, our next Monday, Leeds United against Crystal Palace. With Leeds United, you never know what you're going to get. Could be could be absolutely anything. Yeah, they can win 5-0, lose 5-0, pick any, any numbers in between, to be quite honest. They should be too good for Palace. So... 2-0 lead. And I'm going to go for... I think Palace will score. They've started to score goals, finally. Um, I'm going to go for 2-1-2 two, two leads. Although, I, I do fear that might be a... It's going to be, if it's going to be a draw, it's going to be a high-scoring one, uh, which is something Palace don't do, so probably Leeds will have to win it. That's all we've got time for, but before we say our goodbyes, it is time for... The intriguing and what I thought found quite difficult trivia question. Okay, the the, the question was that, that we've got the final 16 in the Big Cup coming up. Uh, we have four teams from Spain, four from Germany, three from England, three from Italy, PSG and someone else. Who is the someone else? And that team is Porto. Porto are actually the only team to have won Big Cup in the last 25 years that didn't come from Spain, Germany, England or Italy. So if anyone's talking about there being a European Super League, kick Porto out, replace them with Man United and we've got the already in that final 16. We already have it, let's be honest about it. But the second part of the question was three teams from Italy, who are they? They are, and it it surprised me, I had to look it up, I hadn't guessed at all. The three from Italy are Juventus, which I think most people would get Lazio and Atalanta amazing yeah that's Lazio and Atalanta would not have come to my mind immediately that's all we've got time for we'll be back next week with more Hitting the Bar I'm Chris Carl and I'm Jeff Saunders and that was Hitting the Bar the football podcast